All right, welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to have on Matt Seifert and Todd Schultz, along with Brad Hoppy, my co-host from Muskie Mayhem Tackle. And we're going to do a little guide panel deal. Brad put together five questions or so, I think, is what it was. And we're going to ask him a few questions. And it's going to range in, in topics from stuff that you can use right now to stuff you're going to maybe use in a couple weeks. It's all relative to fall, though. So, um, Brad, thanks again for coming on and, and joining me for another episode. Absolutely, Jeff. I mean, this is that time of the year where all musky fishermen are gearing up, preparing for those big fish that we always dream about. Yeah, this is when dreams come true, right? I mean, it's supposed to be the biggest and fattest fish of the year. Absolutely. I mean, that, this is what we look forward to every season. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, these seasons just seem to be blowing by. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, just by the time people hear this episode, we're just getting off week three of the NFL season. It seemed like it started yesterday, and it really felt like it was Labor Day, literally, like just about yesterday. So that's how fast everything goes. It's We've said it before numerous times, there's no need, no need to beat a dead horse, but it just goes so darn fast. And it stinks because these two months are the months that we want all like we'd love to have them if they were you know i'd love the last eight months yeah absolutely i mean i don't care if you're a musky fisherman uh a bow hunter a duck hunter there's not enough time that's for sure who knows we'll see what mother nature has in store for us but you know it every year is a little bit different um i'm hoping that it drags out a little bit jeff yeah that'd be nice i'm hoping we don't get um well, I'm hoping we don't get the a repeat of the last two falls. Because if you remember, like, I think it was the fall of, what would that be, like 2020 now. I think that one got cold really early. Like, we were almost afraid things were going to ice up before the end of October. It held out. You know, we ended up with a little warm front or warm spell or whatever. And then things held out for a little while. And then last year, things stayed warm forever and it never got cold. And so that was a weird deal, too. So I hope we see something in the middle of those two. Well, if anybody watched Mayhem's 10,000 Cast, uh, our November episode, I'm kind of hoping that it goes in that trend. I mean, we had just a phenomenal couple days of fishing there. I, You know, it was weird. I mean, the whole month of November, we were basically in sweatshirts. Towards the end, it got a little bit nasty, but hey, I'm not going to complain. Um, if we can kind of carry out through that whole type of scenario, I'm going to be okay with it. All right. And if you're still out musky fishing, which we hope you are, and know some of you have to uh, choose between hunting and fishing this time of year, it makes for difficult decisions. If you're still out chasing muskies and you're looking for gear, make sure you visit www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. That's your official website for Team Rhino Outdoors, and you can find everything that you need to chase down these toothy critters this fall, from sucker rigs to bulldogs to medusas, if you're still throwing big blades. We have a great selection of those. Suix, Bobby Bates, we have a few of those. Smitty Jerks, we've got a lot of Smitty Jerks in stock too. More colors than probably any musky angler needs. Check them all out at www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. And Brad, if they need gear, I, and I know Carrie just posted recently about some new actual musky mayhem gear, some new t-shirts and stuff that you guys got in. Some of your new, you know, new swag is coming in. I'll use a, a term from, you know, 20-year-olds use you can check it out where? Yeah, it's at muskymayhemtackle.com and muskymayhem is M-U-S-K-Y M-A-Y-H-E-M tackle.com Definitely check it out. We have clothing coming in, as you said, and I know she's made some posts about that. Um, we're preparing for the, uh, the show season already, Jeff. Those t-shirts are already in. The sweatshirts will be shortly behind, but, uh, some cool stuff out there to check out and as well the different big blades that you could use throughout the fall as well yeah we're not allowed to use the s word around here yet it's too early for that it's still september we'll talk s words in in november in fact mike from uh one, one of them he uh wanted to know if we could get him on a podcast so i figured we'll uh we'll hit that up in in december give you a little bit of preview for what to expect this winter but, uh, Brad, I think that we should just uh, cut this intro off and we should uh, bring in your two little buddies that are hanging out at your house and we should talk about musky fishing. Let's get it done. 
All right, this week we are going to have what we'll call a little guide panel. We got Brad Hoppy who's going to be over there talking, and he's also got uh, Todd Schultz with him, and he's got Matt Seifert with him. We, you know, Matt, we haven't heard from you since we woke you up out of your, you know, mid-winter hibernation to talk musky fishing. So it's been quite some time since, uh, you know, your fan club has heard from you. And Todd, man, Todd, I don't know how long it's been since, we, since we've had you on the podcast. It's been a while as well. Probably it's been definitely for sure longer than what it's even been for uh, for Matt. So it's good to get you guys back on. It's been a long time since we talked musky fishing. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, good to be back. Yeah, you're lucky, Matt. We almost didn't invite you back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blame you. <laughs> I'm in musky mode now. You're in a good mood now? That's good. Yeah. Well, when we banged on your little den and we made you come out and come out of hibernation and, and talk muskies, you didn't seem like you were in good mood then. So that's it's good that you're yeah, I was, things are good. I wasn't blindsided on that one. That's good. And Brad, how, how, how are you doing putting up with these guys? Well, it's a struggle. It's always a struggle. I mean, this house gets filled up in the summer, right? And September is that month when everybody likes to be here because uh, September is a special month for muskie fishing. Yeah, and not, you know, sadly, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be just about over with. That's It came in that fast, and it's gone that fast. It's unbelievable. Well, this whole season has been unbelievable as far as how fast it's went by. Um, totally... <laughs> I don't know if it's my age or what it is, but these summers are just cruising by so quick. Yeah, I won't, yeah. I won't disagree at all. I mean, it's been unbelievable how quick it's gone. Yeah, I think by the time this comes out, though, it'll probably be hopefully into our what would be a normal September bite. It seems like whole summer's been a little behind this year, so uh, water's just cooling off now. So it should be. Well, we, if we talk about September here, it should be happening in the next two, three weeks till turnover. So, um, we're still looking at 70 degree water temp, 68 to 70. So that's in Western Minnesota, Northern Minnesota, 67. Yeah. I mean, we got, it's just starting to cool now, so it should be pretty good the next two weeks, but I've been saying that for three weeks now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is the gig. I mean, and it doesn't matter where you talk to who you talk to across the country, whether it's in Canada, Wisconsin, um, Minnesota, wherever. Everybody has had the same struggles this year, and and it's really, really bizarre how this is kind of trended. I think it's going to get good next week. It's going to get better in three weeks. I don't even know what to think of this at this point. I mean, this has been one of the tougher years that I've experienced in all the years of musky fishing. Yeah, I would agree. I was lucky enough to be on leech most of the summer, so we did okay there. Leech kind of went all summer. It was one of the better lakes. Seems like the longer I do this, there's always like three or four lakes in the state, and they just keep producing all year. And uh, next year they might be horrible. But even leech with a lot of nippers, and I know a lot of people were talking about nippers all year on other lakes. I was mostly on leech, but do you experience that? Yeah, definitely over over by us there in Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin. Same thing, seeing tons of fish. Once we did boat, ate way out of the beginning of the retrieve, a lot of nippers. And this is probably one of the toughest seasons I've had in many, many years. Different yeah. game this year. Yeah. Well, Todd, you're not alone in that. I mean, it sounds like pretty much a lot of the people we talked to, have, that's been that's been the story of the season, except for... You know, I, I was texting with uh, Jensen this week. Uh, he was, it was actually just tonight. He says to me, he's like, hey, man, uh, I kind of you kind of picked a bad season to come up or to miss out. And I was like, are you being sarcastic or what? He's like, because I usually I'll make a September trip up there. Obviously, you know, you guys know September is a great month. And, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I said, you know, are you being sarcastic? He's like, no, fishing up by me has been, you know, fantastic. So. Um, so he's having a good September and which I believe, I mean, I've seen a lot of fish pictures come from him. So that's at least somebody's right. having a good, a good September. But, uh, you know, overall, I, I think that that same thing that Todd talked about, the season's been tough for a lot of people. I think Jeff, I mean, we should clarify We've had great days, right? I mean, honestly, you, you come off of a four or five, six fish day and then you struggle for three or four. 
it's really strange. And I think we'll get into that more as we go through this whole guide panel question here thing. So, you know, it's musky fishing, right? It's not supposed to be easy. And I think uh, it, it kind of grounds all of us when you get down to the nitty gritty. The sport, it always seems to, to knock you back on your heel. Well, I can tell you that, you know, it, it does. And, and much like you just said, it does. It's not that people aren't catching muskies. It's just that you're having to work that much harder for him. It seems like, you know, I was talking to keys earlier this week and you know, he's had the same thing. He's like, man, I can barely move my arms from freaking casting so much. And he's like, I can only, I'm only going to dread when I got to start throwing big rubber here pretty quick. Cause he's like, I've had to th- just keep grinding all season. So it's been, it's been that same way, but you know, Matt, I'm going to jump back to a, a comment that you made. You were said, well, if we talk about September muskies, I honestly am not allowed to let you know what we're going to talk about tonight. So Brad compiled, okay. Brad compiled a list of questions and I wasn't allowed you, I wasn't allowed. I started to give you the first question and Brad's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, we can't do that. So just, uh, to preface this, uh, podcast, these guys have not had time to prep for these, uh, these questions. So it's going to be a little bit of raw. We'll call it like, like Brad said, guide panel ish. So that's kind of the deal tonight, boys. We're going to, we're going to fire some questions off to you and we're going to get some answers from, uh, from all of you. I definitely think Jeff that it's important not to give away the questions. And the reason I say that is we want true gut answers, right? And when you, uh, when you already have those questions in front of you, you got time to think about it. You don't always just go to your gut and your gut instinct is what's on the water. When you're fishing every day, you use your gut instinct and it's very, very important. I like that. You're well prepared this week, Brad. I, like I said, I texted you earlier. I said, I give you an A. Well, actually, I gave it to Chase first. And you said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Chase was playing with Matchbox, car, matchbox cars. I was doing the work. So, um. <laughs> That's basically how that went down, yeah. <laughs> it actually did go some, I mean, it probably wasn't Matchbox cars. But anyways, I, oh, it was hot. It was hot. Yeah, that, what was it? That kid plays with cars more than any kid I knew. <laughs> so. <laughs> Anyways, all right, enough ripping on Chase. I did that last week. I, I did it again this week. I actually feel bad for it because I really do like Chase. He's a nice kid. But all right, so are, are you guys all ready for this uh, first question? Sure. Brad, yeah. Is that you want to fire? You know, should we fire right into him? I, I think so. I mean, that's what we're here for. Let's uh, hopefully provide the listener something new and different and, and uh, hopefully something that they can put in their pocket to go out and do some fishing. All right. First question is, what has been the best bite window for this season so far? Wait, is this supposed to be like on a daily basis, a time or? Uh, time? I didn't well, talk to Brad. Uh, I didn't write the questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as the bite window for myself, I can honestly say that prefrontal has been one of the major keys. And, and what I mean by that is, say we have rain coming in at midnight that whole day previous to that midnight time frame has really definitely been a huge key prefrontal seems to be the biggest ticket that i've seen this whole season and earlier we had quite a bit of weather that uh you know we had storms and and different rain showers and so on and so forth wind changes and things like that and so i would say that it was awesome like the month of june july we had some of those uh, storms moving in, and that prefrontal was really, really a key that actually provided success in my boat. Um, as of late, in the last month and a half, two months, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter where the moon is, what the moon's doing, 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. has been my bite window. It's held true for a month and a half, and it seems like uh, that's going to probably carry out through the season, but you know how that goes. It's musky fishing. It might slap us in the face. So that, that's kind of what I was talking about, what those windows look like this year for you guys. Well, that's, hey, Brad, that's good to know that your bite window's been so early because that means that you and I can podcast a little earlier in the day. You shouldn't have to stay out till dark. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, Jeff. I'm <laughs> catching my sundown to come in at sundown. <laughs> you know, back home there in northern Wisconsin, we witnessed the same thing. We're going through the same thing. It seems like them post or uh, pre-file conditions. Uh, it's not so much for us has been the whole entire day before that front. It's more, it seems like more of that 
eight hours before them, uh, that front is coming in that we've been the most successful and, uh, not only just seeing and catching fish, but, uh, other people around us that we know are just as successful during that time frame. But for us, at least for what we've seen, it hasn't been like the whole entire day. I would say for sure that eight hour window before that front comes in has been the ticket for us, at least so far. I kind of was all over the map this year. Um, I've been here for a week now and uh, Brad definitely, it's the one to five is definitely happening here on leech it was kind of every which way we just this weird uh summer was so weird with the wind it would blow one direction for a day and a half and then switch we didn't have anything sustained leech is so wind driven i was pretty much just my windows where the wind was blowing on something it's more of my windows but i've kind of fished the same schedule every day too i'm not i'm not getting up at 5 a.m i fish till 11 o'clock every night so i start at 9 to 11 a.m and catch them when we can catch them but we didn't notice like a huge um anything it was, it was mostly wind blowing for me anything that had wind on it we were mm-hmm. and the deep weed stuff uh calmer stuff which isn't that very much on leech but uh if you go to walker bay or fish a few deep weed spots it was the main afternoon majors which kind of puts me in that one to five zone again but i didn't notice a certain time frame specifically I think it's interesting too, Jeff, you know, we've talked about this in the podcast in years previous, but every year seems to have its own little idiosyncrasy that, you know, it takes, we got six months of the season, right? You start dialing in that season and then all of a sudden it's over. Mm-hmm. And then next year it's all over again. You got to start all over again, try to figure it out. So, you know, you're looking at moonrise, you're looking at moonset, you're looking at moon overhead, you're looking at sunset. You, it, it's one of those things, right? But then there's the other idiosyncrasies that happen. Brian Schaefer was just in the boat this last week filming with me, me and Chase. And the one thing that he said in Wisconsin, he really truly noticed in the Northwoods that it was all about a wind change. So say it's blowing southeast and all of a sudden the wind changes to southwest, you better be on your fish spot. And that was going to provide you a bite. Everybody sees different things. And I think that, uh, those little things chalk it up to actually putting more fish in the bag. I mean, that's, that's truly what it's about. And muskies have always been that way. And by the time you think you get it all dialed in, the season's over. Agreed. You're not wrong. That's how it is. And as we talked about, it's quick. All right. So I think we covered uh, best bite window for the season. All right. Next one would be, what is your go-to bait for a cold front? Before we get started, I'm I'm not going to say what Todd's is, but I'll almost guarantee you that I'll know what it is. <laughs> we'll, we'll let him start it off, Jeff. Let's do it. My number one, yep, my number one uh, lure that I'm going to go chasing them big, green, slimy, teethy creatures is going to be with a suet, 10-inch weighted, 12-inch weighted. Once I got into August, we, you know, I jump up right to the Frank and suet, but yeah, that got tossed around a little bit this week. Um, probably more so tomorrow now while we're over here. But yeah, I would have definitely have to say a suet. Yep, I would have won. I definitely would have guessed it. That, <laughs> I, I, um, I bet you I could even guess what color it's going to be, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of people that could probably guess that color. You know, copper carb. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to beat it. No, yeah, exactly. I'm going to go, I'm going to throw a little wrench in it, but I'm going to say July cold front. Uh, I would throw, as much as I hate to admit it, I'd throw a glider maybe before the waters kind of got to summer peak temp, which it never did this year. <laughs> Didn't seem like, but I uh, usually go pretty slow in July on a cold front, but once August, September hit, and being from Minnesota, that's my favorite bite of I'm waiting for cold fronts, so the rabbit squirrel is the best one for me. I was fishing shallow rocks and sand, and the high-speed rabbit squirrel was our best cold front bait. Um, also, the if it was calm, we got a few on Dr. Evil's with the extra split rings, real, real slow. Uh, but otherwise, the, the rabbit squirrel caught most of them. We're burning a trigger. Fast as we could reel. 
Yeah, for whatever reason, uh, Matt kind of touched on something there. And I mean, there's two methods to do this. Something really, really slow where you're you're kind of hanging in that fish's face like Todd's using a suic, right? You, you're going to pump that and it's going to hang there and it's going to make those fish mad, right? Um, Matt mentioned it in July. He's using a glider. You know, when it gets into, say, the end of August, beginning of uh, September, uh, this year, for sure, the rabid girl, which, you know, Matt just said the rabid squirrel is kind of wild, but the rabid girl this year for me, a single-bladed Martian, Team Rhino Keller Martian, uh, the single blade was on fire. I mean, I, I don't know how many fish I've caught on that bait this year. And it, it's still working right now. The thing that I don't like about throwing those small baits is how many pike you end up with. But, yeah. uh, it's constant activity, I guess. But, man, at some point, uh, when you're the pike master, you, you're kind of like, what am I doing here? The other bait, not second to the rabbit girl, but uh, right there with it. This year, it's been the MK65, the Bond Squad uh, flap has definitely provided a ton of fish and a ton of big fish for me. Amazingly, um, I don't know, we've got a 54 and a half, a couple 51s, and uh, it's just been totally, totally incredible. And then it's hard to beat a Lake X topwater, that's for sure, just like Matt said. And it, it might be the Dr. Evil today, it might be the Fat Bastard tomorrow, and then all of a sudden it's blowing like crazy and you put the cannonball junior on and it gets it done too. So that would be my go-to baits on those cold fronts. And this cold front that we're just coming off of, I mean, it's been drastic. And I would say that it's almost stopped fishing to a certain degree. It, it's tougher right now. And, um, and it got worse. Yeah, it did. It, but I look at it this way too, guys. I mean, we've had, some major cold fronts like previous to this multiples and then they didn't hold then it right. warmed right back up and i right. think some of that has something to do with what we're dealing with now you know and right when people listen to this next week they're going to be relating to that right now because i uh, man it, it's made fishing tough right it really has yeah. yeah hopefully it just stays cold and as the water continues to drop the fish should really get going here so mm -hmm. I've said it multiple times before. You want that nice gradual warm up, and then you want that nice gradual cool down. All that yo yoing around and all that delayed warm ups and all that stuff, it's never that great for fishing. No. Let's just hope we don't get a fall like we did last year where we were still wearing t shirts like late October. When did we, I mean, when did we finally get turnover? Like it was probably, I don't know, Halloween? January. <laughs> January. <laughs> it was just about. <laughs> It was ridiculous. Well, makes fishing, I mean, the, the temperature to fishing, that's nice, but the fishing, in my opinion, is never that great. Oh, I, I never like a turnover that, you know, the lake flops and then the next week it flops back. Three days later, it flops again. I, I don't like that, but believe me, I, it sure is nice to be able to go out in a sweatshirt in the morning and a pair of shorts and, and continue to fish through October. I'm never <laughs> going to complain about that, but it's not necessarily the best for the musky fishing, that's for sure. Nope. In my days of fishing, I'd be, I'd, it'd be funny because I'd be working on a job site. It'd be really nice out and guys would be like, man, I bet you wish you were fishing today. And I'm like, yeah, it'd be nice to be on the water, but I'm like, I don't feel like I'm missing it. I don't feel like I'm missing the bite, you know, it's just one of those things. It just never seems that great. Yeah. All right. We cover, uh, we're good for that one. Good for baits with a cold front. Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right. Next up. What bait for October turnover? We'll let Matt start off with this one since Todd did the last one. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, glider again. Uh, any jerk bait, really, but it seems like gliders kind of get the nod. Um, a lot bigger, bigger and slower gliders. And the beaver. I like the beaver at turnover a lot, so. I would have to say those are my two favorite. I've also done pretty good, like super slow roll, like 10, nine combos. And I even add extra weight to the front hook. Um, if the fish are deeper, if they're shallow, which is a lot of times they're, you know, in that flop weed and that four to seven foot stuff. And then I prefer the glider and beaver for that. 
I would agree with Matt. I I do use some gliders during that time frame, and I struggle with gliders because it's not my deal. You know what I mean? And but what I will say is that if I have a glider that that is almost like a countdown, I want it to sink. I want it to get deeper. Over the years, I've had some APs that literally when I'd buy them, I would go and lift the back end of the, the toilet off and set them in there and find out which one sinks the fastest. I mean, literally, that's what I would do in the store. And the reason I did that is I wanted something that's going to fall and sink down, and that's the bait that I'm going to use, right? So gliders are definitely a key during that turnover time frame. Based on the day, but some days they want that thing just flashing back and forth, left to right, as fast as you can do it. And there's other times where slow, you know, just that boom, boom. You want that slow movement, and that's what's going to attract those fish. The other one that I started playing with quite a bit, and I know Matt could probably attest to this, but is just straight cranking, say, like a, a bulldog. Maybe it's a mag dog, just real slow. And the reason for that slow is you want, again, more depth. The other one would be blades, whether it be a double cowgirl or a supermodel. Very, very slow movement. And the reason that slow movement is really key is to get that depth out of that bait. But those are definitely some um, some key baits that I would use. Yeah, I got it. I was going to come back on that, but Brad kind of covered it. I, the other bait is the heli dog. I prefer the heli dog. The really good slow turnover bait. Same thing, just super slow straight retreat. The bulldozer blades on the front of them, rubber baits too, can really be effective. Yeah, for me, I would uh, first thing I would go to is a JR4, JR3 slow roll. Far as a third lure, this would probably sound a little little off the wall, but a shallow swimming dog that I use more of a pull pause, or I should say pull sink. Let it drop, flutter down. Uh, there's times I'll even pump that dog real slow on at slow retrieve. I can't tell you on how many fish that we've caught that way. And I've had friends, um, even my wife was like, that's how you're supposed to use it. I said, I, there's really no wrong way to use it. But uh, once that kind of took off, some really close friends of mine that are some diehard musky fishermen are now doing the same thing. And uh, it's worked. You know, same with the GR4, GR3, you know, slow roll them, you know, keep them down their face. And like Matt had said, you know, there's times we will add, you know, a little bit of weight to either the front hook or even on the shallow swimming dog. I might add some weight on there myself. Um, I just like the presentation of a shallow swimming dog versus a regular swimming dog myself. So that's why I use those. And those are probably my, those are my top three that I go to that time of year turnover. So how are you guys adding weight? I mean, I, I know I play with the chaos weights. They're awesome. They slip right over the, the hook hanger. Um, how are you guys maneuvering and hanging weights on your bait? Me, I'll use, I'm sorry, Matt, um, small bell sinker. That's what I'll use. Um, like on the JRs, use similar same thing, or I will take like a, you know, I'll get, I'll try to get to the wire and throw on like a rubber core sinker of that size onto the wire just so I can get that bait down a little bit more than where I need it. Yeah, I just put a bell sinker, I split ring it right on the front hook. So, uh, supermodels, I'll put a one ounce on it. If I'm slow on a supermodel, half ounce on the uh, 10.9 usually. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you look at a blade bait, you're not going to use the chaos weight system, but you know, I was, the reason I was asking, Jeff, you sell some of uh, the self-tackle weighted leaders as well, correct? Yeah, I do. Yep. You guys ever use those? I've never no, used ever used one either. I have. Um, it's a it's a cool method. There's no question about it. I mean, you can get a bait down there, and it doesn't necessarily affect that bait. But I know one of the things that Matt has talked about throughout the summer, I think it's really interesting, is he was putting forward weights when he's talking about doing a, a bell sinker off the front of that bait, a bladed bait. And he thinks that he's getting more vibration. I'll let Matt kind of explain that. Yeah, and the triggers and the 10-9, the detonators, if you put um, right below the lower body, split ring between the lower body and the bead below it, 
so it's a little bit more forward near the blade, the weight, instead of the weight being in the back of the bucktail. And you have the off-size blade, so you have more wobble in those baits already. And then with the additional weight right behind the blade, it wobbled even harder. It accentuated the wobble of the triggers, detonators, and 10-9 combos. Something different. I mean, you could burn them a little faster, and then the wobble got really accentuated, so it was pretty cool. A little tougher to get the foot ring, you know, between the lure body and the bead versus the front hook on a detonator or something. But yeah. Do we cover uh, baits for October turnover enough? You guys got that covered? I think so. All right. So the next question that Brad put together, it says structure transition of fish after cold front into turnover. So Brad, why don't you want to clarify what you're meaning with that question? Uh, Matt's looking at me like, what? Who kind of these questions again? That was me. I just, I just uh, took his notes, put them down on my notepad, and then I was like, I, I'm, I'm reading it and going like, I think I understand what he wants here, but Brad, why don't you tell us what you really want here? Well, what I was getting at is, okay, we had our initial cold, cold front, and those fish are, are doing what they're supposed to after a cold front. And now we're transitioning into the turnover time frame, right? That pre-turnover into turnover. I, I think that's one of those areas where people really struggle. And I think that uh, even myself, I struggle year to year with that whole time frame. And as, those, uh, as the water temp starts falling and we're getting closer and closer to turnover, those fish kind of get a little bit weird there. And, and that's what I was looking for. You know, what is the structure that you're actually looking for? Uh, Is it weeds? Is it sand? Is it rocks? I mean, that's what I was looking for. I'm going to look for the transition from, I guess I'll target deep weeds that have rocks. Let's go back for a second. Let's go back for a second. Uh, Let's just talk about red things, cold, bad or cold front. Fish are doing their fall thing. I just want to verify, like, if somebody doesn't know what, I would typically think fish are doing right now. I don't know what they're doing in Wisconsin, but we're trying to fish like this cold front that we're talking that make this fall fishing fun is pushing all this bait fish shallow. So Cisco's are hitting the brakes, shiners and perch are up super shallow and sand flat. So in here in Minnesota, we're fishing, you know, trying to get as shallow as we can if the bait's up there. But most of our cold front will push the fish into that, depending on the lake, but anywhere from that eight to one foot area. So that's kind of what we've been targeting lately. So is what you're asking now is, yeah. what do we do as it goes to turnover here? Yeah, correct. I mean, I think, you know, our bait selection that we just talked about for the initial cold front ties together with what you just said, Matt. I mean, if you think about it, all of a sudden we have this huge push to the shallow, right? And that doesn't mean that every fish is going to go up there. Right. But it does mean that fish are going to move. So if you have open water fish, they're going to end up on those breaks. They're going to play with those Cisco still. But there's always going to be, I don't know, is it a majority or is it a 50-50? Fish are going to push even shallower, and that might be that one to four foot range. And and those baits that we talked about earlier are kind of those key components, right? Yeah. So, you know, as we start moving away from that, okay, our water temps are holding steady. There's a push back out somewhere and pre-turnover and i guess that's where i was going okay well in wisconsin no in this time of year are the fish shallow there too yes obviously the same thing yeah doing the same thing Um, obviously being here this week for a first time musky fishing over here is a little different than you know shallow for these guys Uh, their average shallow is say six to ten feet for us it's you know two to six feet yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. Once some bait fish start moving shallow, we do see a lot more of the, you know, muskies. Some of the muskies we never knew existed in that body of water tends to show up shallow, but doesn't necessarily mean that four foot, six foot mark shallow for that fish at times is 12 foot, you know, depending on what the bait and the forage is doing at that time. Yeah. You know, like being out here this week, um, wife and I were fishing on a big flat this morning and could not believe the school of um, shiners. It was just, it was unreal. Well, as soon as we found them shiners, we started moving fish. Um, fish were a little lazy, you know, 
cold front and we're competing with a lot of food out there. Yeah. So it was kind of a learning curve. I think a lot of times it's relative to the lake too, but I will say, you know, a lot of the lakes that I fish, they always tend to be a hair deeper, right? But I've seen it when you have the right cold front, they will push in that one to two foot. It's really weird. But this year, as I said earlier, there's been multiple cold fronts and it's really scattered the fish. I mean, I think some of the fish are like, Oh, here it is. Here it is. And then, they pull back out because it's like, well, now it warmed back up. So what do we do? You know, no different than humans. I mean, they're, they're trying to find that comfort zone and they move in and then they're like, Oh, now it's 90 degrees again. Okay. Well, let's pull back up. And then the next cold front. All right. They all shove in shallow a little bit for a day or whatever. And then, Oh, now it's going to warm up again. Right. And now we had a real cold front. I mean, where it's massive, but at the end of the day, it really hasn't changed the water temp a whole lot. No. I mean, it did, but now all of a sudden that sun's out and guess what? It's warming it back up. Right. And, I, and I think that that all plays a factor as well. And every body of water is a little bit different. Um, generally speaking, I would say my bodies of water that I fish, they generally want to be a hair deeper than a lot of other lakes throughout the state. Sure. Yeah. I least shelled up, you know, Three and a half to one. I mean, four feet just kind of average out there. <laughs> yeah. So I guess for me, that after that fall fishing has been steady, you'll start to notice where the water's starting to dip into the like lower sixties, upper fifties, and that's when the fish seem to vacate for a little bit. Like it's officially cooled down. There's warmer water and deeper weeds, and fishing can get good again. Right before turnover, it can be a struggle as well. It depends which lake you're on. For me. But kind of put things in perspective, let's say I'm on Vermilion all year, catch fishing one to three feet of rocks all year. Once turnover hits, cold fronts, they all kind of stay the same spot. We'll get some sand fish on Vermilion during cold fronts in the fall. And then when turnover hits, it's like they go to the secondary brick on each rock hump or on this shoreline where there's a seven-foot shell. Then now we're catching them in six to eight-foot rocks. And the slowest bait possible, like we talked about earlier, Leach, similar thing, you know, we're fishing rock piles, reefs, we're in that two to four foot range all year. Shallow, cold fronts, uh, fish usually just turn on more, stay in the same areas, push up really shit tight on beaches. And then as turnover rolls in, you'll see them come out to that secondary break, you know, some of that six to eight foot rock, same exact thing. Lakes here I've experienced, uh, western Minnesota with the deeper weeds, uh, we'll get that shallow sand bite or shallow inside weed edge bite. Any broad leaf in the five to seven foot range seems to be good. And then at three turnover, they'll slide out. And then at turnover, once turnover happens or is happening, I've always done good on it. No matter what lake I go on, if I go fish like green, scummy, coontail, mm-hmm. and like some shallow water, if you get those calm, sunny days, they'll yeah. really push in there. And somebody told me once, and I've always realized it always seems to be better where there's reeds or swampy areas because I think. They really, really do key in on the frogs. Sure. For me, I know that's a Wisconsin thing too, but I've had some crazy bites even in the Twin Cities when I was a guy down there in that swampy, crappy bays where you just never fish in the summer. It's the same kind of shell stuff. It's just the crappy shells that right. you'd never fish right. on a normal exactly. bay. Yeah. That's where I usually do good or going to that secondary rock break. I have a cool story of a turnover one time. Um, under million, everybody's fishing rocks. Uh, it was the outing at one of the resorts. There's a lot of people there. Fuzzy Shumway was up there. And everybody comes in. And all the guys are like, man, that was awful. That was tough fishing. You know, I saw two all day. You know, we had one bite. Only saw one, whatever it was. And he comes in. He had like four or five fish. And I said, what? <laughs> Where were you fishing? He goes, oh, I went down to Everett's Bay by the casino all the way up to the golf course shoreline, which is like a half a mile of just the grossest weeds. He's like, well, we just burned bucktails and a foot of water. And I'm like, how did you reel in there? You can't even get your, he's like, yeah, my trolling motor wouldn't run, but we got four or five. And I'm like, what in the world? And he's like, yeah, the frogs are up there. And I was just like, that's a classic Northern Wisconsin guy, like key in on the frogs. But yeah, it's just, it's kind of cool. It kind of opens up some of the junk spots, but I think that junky weed probably holds only heat when the sun's up. Right. Is my, that's a guess. That's a guess now, but I do catch them in those areas. Yeah. 
I don't know. Let's let Todd go here. No, I agree. I agree with Matt. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's interesting because one day it might be bald sand spots mixed in the weeds. The next day, maybe the next six hours, it might be on those weeds, that nasty weeds that, that Matt's talking about. But rocks always provide a bunch of heat as well. And, and so you can't neglect that. But how do you make those decisions? I mean, uh, that's the next question, right? I mean, when do you make that move? I, I would put that on YouTube. Sun, I think sun's the main key yeah. there. I think those deeper rocks, though, I mean, in my experience, they're, once that water cools, I mean, it's, it's dipping into that upper 50s. So right. those shallow rocks are freezing cold. Right. I would say the deeper deeper rocks. You got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Out. And that deeper waters, if they want to, if they love being on the rocks, they're just going to go to the deeper rocks. Right. No, no, I agree. You know, like us, uh, a bunch of the lakes or lakes over by us, too. You know, there's a lot of wood. You know, that wood holds heat. You know, some of the areas that you, you know, we wouldn't fish all summer if it's too warm. It, you know, it, it's basically like we were talking fishing junk. But once that water starts cooling down, some the sun is up, so it's warming up. And like we just talked about, the deep rocks holds heat. That wood holds heat. And we find a lot of fish, you know, cruising and hanging out, ambush spots in wood as well. Yeah. Yeah, I don't fish any wood, so that's pretty cool. I never, yeah. never experienced that. But this is one thing I was going to throw out there that kind of throws a loop in and everything. But it's on bigger bodies of water, I've noticed it. But if you have shallow mud flats, um, big areas of mud that are in that 12 to 20 foot range, and the rest of the basin, let's say, is 30 to 90 feet deep, most of those shallow flats are going to be sand. But if there's big lakes like let's say Vermillion, which is one of the best examples, but you'll have these big stretches in the middle of the lake that are narrower, smaller, almost like a river part of the lake. And that's a mud bottom. And there's a lot of bugs in there. And the Cisco's and whitefish cannot eat those bugs until turnover. So you can get on a great trolling bite in 12 feet of water out in a mud basin, just outside of weed edges. Uh, it's amazing how many fish, because those Cisco's, and those whitefish are just lined up on those breaks in the deep water waiting to get in there. And the second that water flips, they come in by the thousands. And that's, I've had some really good, um, on bigger basins like that, I've had some really good shallow mud bites. I mean, any kind of a floatage or, I mean, anything with a good mud basin that's shallow. Sure. So that's a huge thing for turnover on those types of bodies of water. If you have something like that and you like to troll, that's a, super good you'll see them stacked up it's great side imaging viewing just see all these ciscos and white just stacked and you'll see the muskies right next to them just outside you know like there might be weed edges on either side yeah but you'll be right down the middle in the mud it's almost like jeff he's seen the question but when do you switch from casting to trolling <laughs> and, and matt didn't that question but he, he kind of went there anyway now you're gonna take away me asking questions you so you already announced the next question you didn't even need me here tonight then <laughs> you just keep quiet over there and keep recording all right <laughs> done <laughs> well there well, well there it is when do you switch over from uh cast or er, from from casting to trolling i'm assuming you mean this fall yet right brad i i do i mean when turnover hits there definitely is a switch, right? So uh, Matt just kind of hinted to what that actually means. And I, I think it's truly an important part that the listener should hear. So do you troll a lot? No, I don't mind. I was, I don't. I was so just, I'll go on. I doesn't troll a bunch. So I'll go Oh, go ahead. Watch out. Yeah. I was going to say, I think we're going to take Todd out of it for this question. Cause I just can't picture Todd trolling up there. <laughs> well, all I can say is that, you know, trolling is one of those gigs, right? I mean, when it comes to trolling, I don't know that there's any musky fishermen that truly, truly want to troll because the interaction with you against the fish is truly a, an important equation. But at the end of the day, trolling can be the answer and trolling can get it done. So, I mean, it, it's something that's overlooked a lot of times by all anglers, I think. And I know Matt, kind of shares the passion that I share. There's something special about trolling. And when you're interacting with that trolling aspect, 
it definitely becomes something that really makes you feel good about it, right? Would you agree, Matt? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's always easier to troll when you're driving the boat, right? Right. Because you're learning something all the time. And it's, if you're just the guy sitting there, it can be a little bit more of a try to include them, obviously, and change trade off driving, trade off net if, if they're biting. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the, that transition thing, like I just kind of said, I, I'll troll those days to see what's in those basins, but I'm on this, my favorite bite of the year. So September inside weed edge bite, the sand bite, it's great action. Usually top waters and bucktails. It's so much fun. So I'm in that mode, right? I don't want that mode to go away. And that's probably why we're talking about scummy bays and frog patterns. Anything we can do to stay shallow is what we want to do. I mean, that's what I want to do. I'm pretty sure both these guys do too. You know, uh, you see every muskie coming in, it's just a blast. So for me, it's hard to do it, but I'm not even going to think about it till that water's at 54 degrees. So the flip has completely happened. But if I'm fishing inside weed edge, I'm not going to just dry if I'm on a big, huge 14 foot mud flat. I'll just drive it and see, but there's, I'm already seeing whitefish. Whitefish are usually the first in. And I'll see those big whitefish everywhere on that mud bottom. So then I might troll for two hours or something but I don't have all my trolling gear in the boat. I haven't switched over yet, but as it progresses and I start, my shallow bite starts fading and I start getting into that, you know, cause the whites are spawn at 47 degrees. Cisco spawn at 41 and 47 can happen fast after turnover. So you see all those males will come out of those shells and start staging on uh, deeper points and rocks around that, like 49, 48 degrees. And I'll just drive by some, you know, white fish spawning areas, gravel size stuff, softball, the volleyball stuff, uh, or sand on some lakes. But if you start seeing those white fish, the male white fish stage up every night, go in every night, females only go in once. So as soon as you see those big pods of white fish stacking up, if you have white fish in your system, then I'm instantly into it. I'm, I'm there. The, the muskies are right there behind them. The, the shallow bite at that point has gotten to where, I mean, you're, you're just grasping at straws at that point. Unless it's been warm and sunny for five days, but the water wouldn't be ready for staged up whitefish then at that point. So that's kind of what I'm looking for. I mean, I hate to, every time I say something happens at a water temp, must be fishing on wrong. So <laughs> I don't really care about water temp, but the, I know the whitefish spawn at 47 degrees and the males start staging at 49. And once 55 turns steady and you've got those nice cold nights, if it's normal weather, 49 comes around pretty quick. So that maybe one week of slot fishing or maybe week and a half of, you know, that seven foot rock stuff that can fade out. But if you can find those seven foot, eight foot rock flats that whites are spawn on and the muskies are staged on and there's male white fish outside, you can have some crazy weeks, but you can catch some casting, trolling, but I'll check those mud lines because those males will always spawn over the mud line or usually a half a cast into the mud up to three casts into the mud. So just, checking a couple of those mud lines in that post turnover time when you're getting near that 48 to 50 degree, it's worth checking for that. That's when I start looking for bigger bait fish staging on the brake lines. Then trolling is a very legitimate option at that point. I think a lot of it's relevant to how many days of sun you have versus how many cloudy days you have. And, <laughs> you know, we can say what we want to say on this podcast, right? But you have, you also have to dig through all the different things that happen. So if you have that 51, 52 degree, and all of a sudden it's sunny for five days straight, that's going to change the game plan. If it's cloudy and it's 51, 52 degree water, it's going to be different than when it's sunny. So, I mean, you have to think about that. And the surface temps change drastically. I mean, that sun's got a lot of kick. So it's definitely something that you got to think about as well. Agreed. Yeah, you know, especially what Todd was saying with the wood. I'm sure that gets real warm in the day. Oh, yeah. All right, Matt. So we were talking, you know, a little bit of trolling there. Let's talk about cold water trolling speeds. I know I've, I've probably told the story numerous times on the podcast. I was trolling with my kids down in Madison, and it was, I'd say, like early to mid-November. And it was, you know, the weather was all right out, you know, but... 
typically it, I would have expected it to be colder, but the water temperatures are still cold. And I think I was trolling at about like three miles an hour. And then I, I hadn't gotten bit. Well, my, my buddy, Jeff, who guides down there knows that I knew I was out there and he's like, well, how are you doing? I said, um, Mark and bait, not getting ripped yet. He's like, well, how fast are you going? I'm like three miles an hour. He's like, no, no, no. Dial it up to like 3.4, 3.5. And, uh, of course we catch, uh, two pike and a muskie after we dial the speed up to, I, I mean, one of those two speeds I'm guessing in their ballpark. Are you a, I mean, cause I, and I would consider that to be fast in the fall. What's your thoughts on speed for trolling in the fall? That's a good question. I'm three, three. I only troll headlocks and matlocks. I will troll grandma once the water's below 38, but I troll three, three all the time. And if I'm marking fish and they don't eat, I will usually slow down in the fall. And if they still don't eat, then I might speed up. More importantly, like at night, I will go two, five. But in the daytime, I'm usually three, three all the time. I mean, you look at that bait, it's not moving that fast at three, three. And you're hoping at that time of year, they have a speed bag on anyways. I'm assuming that speed works so good for me because I only troll in the fall and in open water. Most of the time in the spring, which so I'm always trolling around Cisco's or whitefish. So I'm assuming that they cruise around about three and a half miles an hour would be my guess. I can't say for sure. But yeah, I'll go two nine once that's my deal. Once the water hits 35, 36 degrees, I'm relaxed. I usually go down to about three one to two nine. And that's when I'll see the headlocks and um, with rubber tails and the grandmas shine a little bit more than the matlocks. It's like they're almost too aggressive. And once that water really gets cold, it's like the fish, maybe, especially if it drops fast, it's almost like they're in shock. So I'm sure you've seen it casting on that kind of temps too. If you get your bait, like, oh, you're going to hang it up high in the corner, like they're going to eat it. And they get up there and the fish just freezes and sinks away. But if you keep your bait down eight feet in the figure eight, they'll just chase it around. But as soon as you get up, they don't like that. I don't know. That cold water seems to slow them down a bit. So, but yeah, I'm three, three all the time. Until that water hits 37, 36, then I start slowing down a little bit if I'm not getting bit. But if I'm marking fish and consistently and late fall like that, I mean, especially on the last, you mark three of them, you get three waypoints off some deep rock structure. I mean, those are giant fish. That's plenty enough fish for me to fish for the day. So I just fish those three fish then. And if they're not biting, I'll try it faster. I'll try slower, but I'm not four and a half. That's what you're asking. I'm never that fast, but that also would change my dive curve dramatically. And that time here, I'm not trolling Cisco's in open water in June. I'm right near the structure. They're usually hanging in that 14 to 24 foot range, right foot, two feet off the bottom on rock finger extensions. And one, if I have 87 feet of line out, so I'm running at 16 and a half feet and 18 feet of water. I want to be in their face. So I don't want to change speed too drastically because I'm going to lose my dive curve or whatever. But if I'm going four and a half, I'm going to rip boards off the mast. I'm going to be sinking boards or um, ripping baits off the mast or sinking boards, hitting rocks and stuff. So I keep it pretty steady. Three, five to two, nine, I'd say is pretty safe zone in the fall. But I'm a three, three guy. I, I think it's funny, Jeff, because over... I don't know, 20, 25 years of trolling and doing the different things that we're talking about right now. The neat thing is if you talk to different people and I'll use, uh, Billy as one of, uh, I mean, I, I truly think Billy and Matt are some of the best trollers that I've ever been around. Right. Um, you can look at Kevin, but Kevin Goldberg and Billy, I mean, those guys have trolled and trolled and trolled. And 3-2 has always been my number. It's funny because Matt and I start trolling together, and he's like, 3-3. Three, three. I talked to Billy, 3-2. And then you talk to Kevin Goldberg, and he's like, wow, I push it. I push it. I keep going 3-8, four, 4-2. Four, and I'm like, wow. You know, he's got a whole different perspective to the whole gig of trolling. But... Honestly, when it comes to open water fish, whether it be in the spring or it be in the fall, that 3-1 to 3-3 seems to be the ticket. That's what everybody, at least in Minnesota, definitely want to use. So I've always been a 3-2 guy. 
to the point where when I order a bait from Duff, the Supernatural, he makes all kinds of messages, handwritten messages on the backs of my bait saying, do not exceed 3.2 miles an hour, you know, <laughs> and, and just these goofy comments on the back of my bait. But honestly, I mean, that's always been the key for me. So I don't know. It, it, it might be something in my own head. It might be something that actually works. And I can honestly tell you it's worked time and time again for me. So it, it's a tough one. Yeah. I think if, with the electronics nowadays, you, you usually know if the fish are there. So if they're not biting what speed you're going, you should change it up. Okay. This, actually, this year was my first year that I really, I caught a lot of a quarter or maybe a third of my fish in open water this year. I caught going a little faster this year. Did you experience that at all? I would say this year for my open water bite, it was totally unique in the sense, and I say unique, I can think back to 15, 20 years ago, down rods were the key. My board rods were not getting eaten. So I don't know that speed was such the equation, but I will say that my down rods were getting eaten, eaten over my board rods. Mine too. And I, I mean, what is that? You know, <laughs> It's strange, but uh, normally the board rods are, are the true ticket. Yeah, agreed. I got more bites on a down rod this year. Does that carry over into the fall? Um, fall, I have so much line out. It doesn't scare me to run down rods ever. I mean, I'm kind of, I usually have two clients, so we have three rods up. And if it's real windy, I don't ever put two boards out. I just run two down rods and one board. Just because when you're dealing with giants like that, I mean, I'm usually throwing lax, so. It's, you're hoping for a bite every six days. And if it's the right bite, having to deal with that board is not what you want to be doing with a 50 pounder. Cause the board's usually gone for about three minutes before you can even get it up. The fish just, it just disappears. So I hate boards in the fall. I'd way rather want run a mast when I'm trying to catch a giant. I don't want to have a board between me and the giant. So, and you have 80 feet of line up. I mean, I'm running 40. I, run if i'm structured trolling when the water's 42 to 40 degrees then you know and i'm not doing anything deep in the water where the cisco's are staged i'll go in and bang on rocks and stuff and i'll have 37 40 feet of line out but i'm not worried about that as far as the fish being scared of the boat here's one of the idiosyncrasies of musky fishermen too i know i've trolled with matt enough to know that he's all even numbers so if he's setting a rock it's an even number when I set a rod, it's an odd number. And I don't know if it's my own mind or whatever it might be. I'm running either 9, 17, 27, 37. And Matt be, might be running 10, 20, and, and 40. I mean, yeah. it's, it's weird, but we all have our little idiosyncrasies. Yeah, these odd numbers, they need to go. It's way easier to remember 20, 30, 40 <laughs> than it is to remember like 17, 19, and well, for whatever reason, that odd numbers work for me. Yeah, I actually, I don't know if I told Brad this, but I was trolling open water this in June this year with a mutual friend of ours. And I was like, can you believe Brad uses odd numbers? I mean, it's so stupid. So he's like, I'm setting this side of the boat odd then. And I said, no, put him even. And he goes, I'm putting this side odd. And we put my side even and we got the 49 on my side. So I'm going with that. I'm going with the even for always now. <laughs> but, you know, I actually did an experiment with another person too. I said, we'll set this side odd, this side even. And that day it was an even split. So it didn't really matter. Well, maybe maybe it's odd on port and even on starboard. I mean, we got to figure this out. <laughs> well, it's definitely even on starboard. I always <laughs> ran even on. <laughs> That's kind of funny. I don't know if I've ever paid that much attention to what it is. Sometimes I run them 15. Sometimes I run them 20. It's never odd or even for me. It, it's all over the place. Well, if you hang around musky fishermen long enough, there's some weird things that go on in boats. So well, that works. Well, now that you brought it up, I'm going to be thinking about it every time I'm setting rods now. I hope so. I never, I mean, I was always thinking about numbers, but I never was thinking whether or not it should be odd or even. Yeah. I think honestly, for, for whatever reason, it works for me. So 17, 
27, 9. 9 is my short one. If I'm running a board, it's 9. I don't know what it is, but I mean, that sticks in my head. And I know where that bait is. So, you know, if you look at it, Matt, you, you get your own style too. Yeah. So, and I know your style because I've fished with you enough, but it, it's weird. But for whatever reason, I mean, those are the numbers that work in my head. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, he's into it. He gets mad if you put it about an even number. <laughs> Does it really matter? I don't think it matters, Brad. When he's not looking, I'm always letting a foot out. <laughs> There. Now he doesn't know it's even. <laughs> um, I think yeah. the the true parts of this whole conversation right now is uh, we're all idiots. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what, what I'm getting out of it. Yeah, I didn't want this to be a trolling podcast, but I will say this: I got one question to ask Brad. Quick, just make this quick. Oh. Did you troll wire this year? I did. I did troll wire. I mean, I I've talked about doing it for years. I got one fish in the month of June on wire. And honestly, I mean, I've been told by Mike Lazarus, I've been told by uh, Greg Thomas, you have to run wire. You've got to play with wire. And they've both told me, as well as a bunch of other fishermen, that if you're not trolling wire, you're missing out. I got one fish on it. And I will say that the month of June trolling-wise was tough. Casting was okay. But um, I'm going to play more with wire this fall. I finally got it all rigged up. I can't say that I've really, truly seen a big difference at this point. Okay. I'm going to get a wire rod. That's one thing I've never done. So I want to get one and try it this fall and next June. And that's something I need to learn how to do. So, or just play with it just to see if it makes a difference anything. So I've heard time and time again that the wire rod will get bit before your mono or your, you know, super braid line, the wire is going to sing and the fish are going to eat, you know, and, and that's what I've always heard, but I haven't seen the big difference yet. You know, Hey Todd, you got it. You want anything to talk about? Because we kind of left you out of the last 15 minutes of this conversation. <laughs> Nothing off the top of my head. I mean, honestly, that, that wasn't by design. I guess I should have. Um, I should have uh, told Brad, you know, hey, this isn't going to work out for Todd. He's not going to talk about changing from casting to trolling. This guy's going to cast until <laughs> his freaking hands just are blocks of ice. <laughs> That's okay. I, I get it. I mean, I, I understand where Todd's coming from. Honestly, I mean, I'll cast until, uh, you know, the lines are freezing and you just can't do it anymore. I love to, to cast over trolling, but like I said earlier, there's something special about trolling, and I think the trolling aspect definitely plays a factor. I mean, uh, not only in, in catches, but also in the science behind it. And I think there is truly a science behind it, and I think a lot of people neglect to think that trolling definitely has a science. Yeah, absolutely. It's easier for us to do that science, too, on bigger lakes. That you know, yeah, exactly. Todd's fishing smaller lakes too. You know, right. we got Moac, Leech, right. and all the lakes around here are seven thousand acres, six, seven thousand acres. A little more water to cover too. So, it, but yeah, I prefer to cast in the fall. I, I think that's normal for all musky fishermen. Most musky fishermen want to cast. They want that for, for about six days. They haven't seen one. Then I'll trail for a couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> If we're going to talk about Malak, yeah. And some lakes, it's just, I mean, there's some bites around here in Minnesota where you can catch four a day trolling. It's cold. It's almost worse because you're not doing anything. Right. It's a it's a commitment, you know, not moving in that cold weather. But you can get four fish a day, and you could cast and see 10 and catch one. I will recommend that, Jeff. If you're going to be a troller, and it's cold, cold weather, go to Walmart, buy yourself the little simple, it's like $25 for a little seat heater. You put it on your seat, it's made for your car, you plug it in the cigarette lighter, and guess what? You have seat heat. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. So yeah. 20 bucks at Fleet Farm. 
That's what you should start selling at Team Rhino. Yeah, hands down. <laughs> Heated boats. <laughs> I have two of them. They're the best. Keeps your core warm. You control all day. You don't get cold. Your toes might get a little cold, but you keep that core warm, and you're going to make it all day. You stand up, you're going to be freezing your butt off. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, a, a heavy sweatshirt, couple uh, long drawn underwear on, you're probably okay. But when you stand up to net a fish or reel one in, you're like, whoa, it is cold. Yeah. All right, Brad, no more tips about fall trolling. We're going to have to, we, we need something to talk about in late, late October. You know, it's going to be that time soon enough. So don't, no more tips. You're, you're ruining it. Uh, I, I agree with that. It's coming way quicker than you can ever imagine. All right. Well, fellas, I want to thank you all for taking time out of your schedules to talk musky fishing with you. It was nice to uh, get some insight from both of you, all three of you. And I mean, when I say both, I mean the two guys we don't get to talk to every single week. I get to talk to Brad far too often. And <laughs> <laughs> we want to thank all of our uh, listeners for putting up with us for that episode. And we'll catch everybody again next Wednesday. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys.